I thought all religions in this country were supposed to enjoy their liberty, but apparently if you're a seething bigot with a large band of red hat wearing psychophants and you have the backing of a powerful judicial body that leans toward your opinions on everything absent of any sound interpretation of the Constitution whose statutes they are sworn to uphold, you can impose whatever restrictions you want. Religious liberty is alive and well in America, and the public knows it. Catholics, white mainline Protestants, minority Protestants, and Christians who identify as unaffiliated all agree. It seems that only extremist sects of evangelicalism seem to disagree. Only their liberty matters. Only their side can be right. Only their point of view is valid. And having the backing of the federal government all but guaranteed that their errant sense of right would stay firmly in place. No wonder they went so batshit when their miscreant messiah lost. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And And it's it's time to get Unbound. You know, when most evangelicals, particularly white evangelicals and Christian nationalists, use the term liberty, I really don't think they know precisely what it means, either that or they just flat out don't care. It's something that applies to everyone, not just a few, and certainly not just them. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this time around, we are continuing the thought from last week and looking at the subject of religious liberty, specifically how evangelicals in particular weaponize the concept to achieve their own ends, even to the point of tainting the very message of the Constitution in the process. But before we get into any of that, we've got another bonus round, I think, (laughs) with Christians behaving badly tonight. We've got two full stories and then a little zinger at the end. (laughs) Yep. Uh, So tonight I thought I'd do something different. There's so many wild Christian prophets out there all saying really silly things. I've got two main stories and a mini story all about the false prophets who just seem to know things. Of course, they just seem to know a lot of things. Yes. First up, the most unjolly prophet, Pastor Kent Christmas, yes, that is his real name, desecrated the Grand Old Opry on July 4th as part of a Let Freedom Ring rally and declared that Trump won the election by about 80 million votes and 80 also... 80 million votes. <laughs> yes, that's quite a bit. You know, I only had to take one math class in college. This is, <laughs> this is a good reason why there should be more math in Bible college. There needs college. to be more math. Oh, yeah. And also that anyone who isn't the correct brand of Christianity will soon be killed by apostolic angels. Apostolic angels. You see, that wasn't one that came up in any of my research when we did our show on angels. Never heard of apostolic angels. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe he thinks that the apostles became angels. Oh, you know what? Don't force me to go any further inside this idiot's head than I have to, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't care what he thinks about any of this. I really honestly don't care. I don't don't want to understand what's going on in his head. (laughs) No, you don't. Well, according to Pastor Christmas, get ready, says God, for there is an apostolic army of angels that's being released in the atmosphere. In the atmosphere. Yes. Maybe it's that whole compressed air thing. I guess. That one of, I forget which one of them, one, one of the, not church fathers, just one of the uh, theologians. Oh, yeah. That's right. Thought that angels were compressed, compressed air. air. Maybe, yeah. maybe it has to do maybe with that. Maybe it has to do with that. One of the things that we have been bereft of up in the kingdom of God is that we have set angels on the sidelines. And the Bible says this, that angels are ministering spirits for the kingdom of the Lord. When you go back and you read the scriptures, one of the things that's going to happen before Jesus Christ comes back, the first thing that's going to happen is the Bible said that God is going to release angels into the earth and they are going to remove those that offend and commit iniquity in the body of Christ. And there is a death release from God that's getting ready to hit the wicked. I'm not talking about spiritual death. I'm talking about natural death, that God is going to begin to kill wicked men and women in this nation that have stood and opposed the authority of the Holy Ghost. Okay, a few things here. (laughs) First, 
Apostolic Army of Angels. Yes. That sounds like the name of an 80s Christian metal band. It really does. It really it sounds like something from the Swedish invasion. I don't know how yeah. many people realize it, but there was a lot of Christian metal that came out of Sweden yes. back in the day. And that just looks like the name of a Swedish Christian metal band. Yeah. It just it does. That's the very first thing I thought of. <laughs> Secondly, I can't stand Christians who constantly say the Bible says without citing where the Bible says it. I mean, I don't know every scripture reference that I pull out at a given moment, but I do have a phone and I know how to use Bible Gateway. Where does it say that angels are ministering spirits? I'm not saying it doesn't because it basically does. In a number of places, it actually does. What I'm saying is that you have to qualify what you say. But here's the problem. They know that they don't have to because anyone who's going to believe anything they prophesy will believe anything they say about the Bible, true or false. And that right there makes these prophets very, very dangerous, at least in their own circles. Maybe yeah. not in a global way, right. but in the circles in which they move and the influence that they have, they are dangerous. Yeah. Lastly, a death release. Yeah. Really? God is just going to start killing people again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's more of that unconditional love they keep telling us about. I know, right? Oh. It must be so great to take joy in the slaughter of Muslims, Jews, atheists, and everyone else who isn't his brand of Christian. I don't know, though. I'm vaccinated, and I don't think he is. Well, I'm not going to assume he is. I'm not going to assume yeah. that he isn't. But I will agree that they take joy yes. in those things. And that right there makes them even more dangerous. Yeah. So what have you got next? Uh, let's see. And now for your favorite prophetess and mine, Cat Care. <laughs> Maybe yours. <laughs> Certainly she not She is mine. amusing. You can keep her. She's very amusing. The 4th of July has been a busy one for these false prophets. The fireworks display in Jacksonville, Florida was, according to Care, blessed by a vision of the hand of God. She got pictures and video and actually showed one of the pictures. To be honest, it kind of looks like God's giving us the finger. It does, sort of. I'll, <laughs> sort of. I'll post the pic with the show notes. I see more of like an extended pinky, like Dr. Evil. Yes. Either or, that or God is enjoying high tea or picking his nose or, or whatever. Or giving the one-way sign. Well, the one-way sign usually is the index finger. This right. is clearly a pinky. Yeah. Cat Care went on the Elijah Streams YouTube channel to talk about her vision, also saying that it confirmed her fellow prophet Hank Kuhneman's prophecy that a divine shift would take place on the 4th of July, resulting in former President Donald Trump being restored to the White House. On the 4th of July. On the 4th of July. I don't think it happened. I don't think it happened either. Care claimed that he said to watch for the hand of God, though Kuhneman said he never said anything like that. At least Cat Care sent Kuhneman a photo of said hand, which he shared at a prophetic pulse meeting at his church. Prophetic pulse. Oh, my God. The, just, so the, the uh, way they just sort of create these things that are supposed to sound snappy. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like... This is nothing new. I mean, this no. is what they do. This and is... it has worked effectively for decades and decades. So, you know, I get it. But come on now. I look at stuff like this and, you know, it, it keeps going through my head. What rational thinking person looks at this and places value on it? Well, and every single time I think this, I answer my own question and say, no rational person <laughs> thinks about this the way that these people do. No. Because these are not rational thinking people. These yeah. are people who, you know, they're, they're so mired in the Kool-Aid that they're going to believe whatever they're told by anyone that they decide is an authority. Yeah. Like this crazy, I don't even know what to call her. I don't even she know is, what name to call her. She that is would odd. really make my point here. Yeah. I honestly don't. No, I know. She's odd. Whatever. Biden is still president. Amen to that. <laughs> and as far as this picture is yeah. concerned... At least she didn't lose this one. Yes. I still want to see her dueling angel versus demon photos. She says yes. that she has, but can't find. Yes. And Hank Kuhneman makes another entry on this roundup for another prophecy this week. 
because it's so... Well, you be the judge. He oh, says, I intend to. <laughs> he says that since it's the 245th year of America, it means that God wants Trump to have a second term because Trump was the 45th president. See how that works? Yeah. Ever see the movie The Number 23? Yeah, I mean, right. Numbers just, they, they show up. They occur. It's odd. And it's nothing but pure coincidence. Obviously, yes. it's nothing but coincidence. Of course. But these things just sort of happen. And along those lines, since we're pulling meaning out of numbers, mm. I'd like to declare July 6th, 2025, as Hank Kuhneman Day. Mm. And here's why. 7-6-25 is the date. Because G is the seventh letter, F is the sixth letter, and Y is the 25th letter. <laughs> so on 7-6-25, Hank Kuhneman, G-F-Y. <laughs> I guarantee you that if you asked him what he thinks of numerology, he'd say that it's of the devil. Ironic, right. isn't it? More of that marvelous evangelical hypocrisy that we love so much around here. Mm. So just before we get into our main topic, just want to let you know that our Patreon is up at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. And if you have the means to help us out financially, starting at the $5 level, we could sure use your support. Yeah. Pure and simple. We need help to make this show what we want it to be. And that is where you come in. $5 level is where it starts. That's just over a buck an episode. And the tiers go up from there. And when we have a good enough quorum of patrons at each level, then we can start adding more incentives. And there's a lot that I would love to do. And there are things that I would like to do to be interacting more with our listeners. And that will come in time, but it comes with your support. So if you're able to help us, fantastic. If you don't have the means to send us money, then you can support us with your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings, your reviews, and just telling someone new about us this week. Same thing I ask for every week. Tell someone new about the show, someone who needs to hear the messaging, someone who will benefit from it, or someone who will just be able to listen to it and realize that they're not alone in this thing called life after faith. With that, let's just dive right into our main topic for this episode. So let's start out by answering the question, what is religious liberty? Here's how the ACLU answers the question. Quote, the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. As enshrined in the First Amendment, religious freedom includes two complementary protections – the right to religious belief and expression, and a guarantee that the government neither prefers religion over non-religion nor favors particular faiths over others. These dual protections work hand-in-hand, hand, allowing religious liberty to thrive and safeguarding both religion and government from the undue influences of the other. Now, my primary sources for this episode are two articles on AmericanProgress.org. Both are cited in the show notes, as well as where the quotes come in. So you'll be able to see all that. I don't want to have to keep stopping and saying, quote this, quote that. A lot of what I'm going to say comes directly from the article, and you can look up what's mine and what's theirs. It's going to be all in the show notes. And incidentally, we've been having some issues with uploading show notes, and I think I've come up with a decent workaround that involves just linking out to Google Docs and if you are looking to access the show notes and you can't, please let me know. Contact us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com and let me know if you are trying to get access to the show notes and can't because it's very important that those things are out there and that they're accessible. You should have access to it without a problem. So moving on from that. I think that it is significant to note that most Americans don't believe that there's any current threat to religious liberty in America, but when you mix together their signature cocktail of irrational thinking, hopeless bigotry, and crippling paranoia, you can convince 69% of white evangelicals that there is. 69%, more than two out of three. 44% of white evangelicals polled also think Muslims face religious discrimination, and that seems like a high number until one realizes that it's largely them doing the discriminating. In that case, less than half doesn't really seem like all that high a number. 
the perception of victimization among white evangelicals pales in comparison to the actual discrimination exacted on anyone they don't like. Analysis of FBI hate crime data from 2017 reveals that almost 80% of all incidents of religiously motivated hate crimes that year were motivated by anti-Jewish or anti-Muslim bias. Yet, both the executive and judicial branches of government have prioritized the alleged discrimination faced by some white evangelical Protestants over the outsized number of threats that other groups face. Since the religious right started aggressively representing itself in U.S. politics, the weaponization of religious liberty as a means of forcing a secular society to adopt specifically evangelical ideals has gained an alarming amount of momentum. It started with the establishment of Jerry Falwell's moral majority and has become a juggernaut that has successfully used every branch of government to do everything from denying rights of all description to LGBTQ people to deciding who deserves to be an adoptive parent, to protecting superspreader events during a global pandemic. Weaponization is not an overstatement here, and not only would evangelical activists who support things like suppression of gay rights agree, they would tell you proudly that this description is accurate. The constant paranoid delusion of us versus them coupled with their need to evangelize form the foundation of many attempts to exploit religious liberty as a means of making life more comfortable for themselves. Many evangelicals would argue that imposing perceived biblical morals on how we behave toward and interact with each other is a manifestation of the Great Commission. Many foolishly think that if they can get people to behave in a way that their God would approve of, that it would somehow lead to more people adopting their religious views. Usually, though, the responses range from indifference to anger to counteractivism to protect civil liberties. For the most part, though, the motivation isn't anywhere near as selfless as promoting the gospel. More often than not, it's about stopping people from doing things they personally consider icky or picking on them for having vaginas. Oh, and also suppressing things that disprove their beliefs outright, like science. Hence the assertion of religious liberty when they try to define traditional families and biblical marriage or refuse to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple or attempt to deny women birth control or vital health services or only teach creationism in Christian homeschooling curricula and so on. Let's talk for a second about a little thing called the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And this description comes from AmericanProgress.org. 25 years ago, the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RFRA, was signed into law to clarify and expand upon the right to religious liberty. RFRA outlines that the government should not substantially burden religious exercise without compelling justification, and that it should only do so if it furthers a compelling governmental interest in the least restrictive way possible. The purpose of this law is to protect the free exercise of religion while clearly defining and more robustly protecting the right of religious liberty for all Americans. It passed with widespread bipartisan support and was triumphed among faith communities, civil rights advocates, and politicians alike. Since the passing of the federal RFRA, 21 states have mirrored the federal statute to adopt similar legislation. In 2014, however, the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby marked a major shift in the interpretation of religious exemptions from religiously neutral laws. Rather than simply protecting the rights of religious people, RFRA was expanded and misused to discriminate. How? Well, let's have a look, starting with the case in question. It's a clear example of a corporation exploiting religious liberty to fuck with people's health care for no logical reason. Right. The problem with the ruling in Burwell versus Hobby Lobby is that it applied the same rights to corporations as to individuals, allowing two companies, Conestoga Wood Specialties and Hobby Lobby, the right to free exercise of religion. Let's be clear, the U.S. Constitution never, ever made any such accommodation, and there is no unbiased way to interpret anything it says to allow a corporation to be viewed as an individual. And yet... The ruling allowed the owners of these companies to apply their religious beliefs to decisions to rescind their employees' access to birth control as part of the company-funded health insurance, access to which these employees are entitled under federal law, but which legislation during the 45th U.S. Presidential Administration, see how I skirted his name, makes okay for employers to deny. The Supreme Court ruling affected 
thousands of employees. It also broadened the scope of RFRA protections afforded to for-profit corporations like Hobby Lobby and expanded the use of religious exemptions by corporations. The legacy of the Hobby Lobby decision continues as religious liberty is misused to discriminate against vulnerable communities such as religious minorities, non-religious people, people of color, women, and the LGBTQ community. Now, we're going to take evangelicals out of the hot seat for just a minute here and talk about Catholic hospitals. Even though Catholics and evangelicals are diametrically opposed in key areas of doctrine, they agree in some very toxic areas, not the least of which being in their respective opinions about women and how it's okay to control a woman's reproductive life. Lots of Catholic hospitals deny key contraceptive services, manifesting in many ways, but particularly notable in the denial of tubal ligation services to women who want them. For those who may not know what that is, it's a form of birth control, permanent birth control, that has been referred to as having your tubes tied. That's the procedure that they're talking about here. And tubal ligation is most effective when performed just after delivery. So if a woman delivers in a Catholic hospital, she might not have this as an option. Well, then just don't go to a Catholic hospital, right? Well, there's just a couple problems with that. For starters, one in six hospital beds in America are in Catholic hospitals. And also, Catholic hospitals don't always identify themselves all that well. A New York Times analysis of 652 websites of U.S. Catholic hospitals found that on nearly two-thirds of the websites, it took more than three clicks from the homepage to determine that the hospital was Catholic. And in many cases, hospitals are portraying themselves more secularly by removing religious icons and imagery and by changing their names. For example, San Francisco-based Catholic Healthcare West changed its name to Dignity Health in 2012, and as a result, patients may not be aware that they are seeking services at a Catholic hospital. And the problems that arise for women who use these hospitals could go even further with limited or even restricted access to certain services and procedures revolving around beliefs about abortion. There need to be more regulations regarding how Catholic hospitals go about identifying themselves. Until that happens, vital and necessary services will continue being denied to women who simply don't know that they are walking into a situation where they will not receive the care or services they expect. Now, I'm sorry, but our state does more to regulate how marijuana dispensaries promote their businesses than they regulate how private or religious hospitals identify themselves. And I find that just personally sickening. Yeah. But let's remember that evangelicals don't have clean hands in this arena by a long shot. Look at Hobby Lobby. That decision was a direct assault on women's rights to manage their reproductive health. And that ruling was the result of evangelicals taking their misogynistic agenda all the way to the Supreme Court and fucking winning. Mm. I like this list that the ACLU put out that just gives hypotheticals, but these are things that happen all the time. So what are some examples of how religious liberty can be exploited to control women? And here are the examples. Religiously affiliated schools firing women because they became pregnant while not married. Business owners refusing to provide insurance coverage for contraception for their employees. Graduate students training to be social workers refusing to counsel gay people. Pharmacies turning away women seeking to fill birth control prescriptions. Bridal salons, photo studios, and reception halls closing their doors to same-sex couples planning their weddings. These are all examples of how, and not really just women, this actually spills over into the LGBTQ segment of the population as well. Then there's the whole Hobby Lobby thing. At the time, the Obama administration stepped in and made contraceptives available to everyone, whether the employer included them in the insurance coverage or not. But of course, the high quality humans of the 45th presidential administration turned around and applied a bit of misogyny to the situation just about two years later. An article from just about a year ago on healthaffairs.org explains it this way. Employers that object to the coverage of contraceptives for religious or moral reasons can decline to cover contraceptives for employees or students. The accommodation process, 
which enabled employees and students of objecting employers to access contraceptives without cost sharing, is now optional, meaning many women will have to look elsewhere for contraceptive coverage and potentially pay out of pocket for this medical care. Some women may go without access to contraceptives at all. In other words, the option is still there in the ACA, but employers can basically opt out even though it costs them nothing. Even though they aren't providing anything, they can say, nope, we don't want this stuff making its way through our organization at all and cut off access, making it necessary to either apply for Obamacare or go through other independent channels, which largely defeats the purpose of not paying out of pocket. It completely defeats the purpose of not paying out of pocket. The same women who can't afford to pay out of pocket also can't afford to buy their own insurance. So yeah, companies can choose not to facilitate the transaction by refusing to have birth control channeled through their healthcare systems, even though it costs them nothing and is none of their business. So fuck you, Donald Trump, for so, so, so many reasons, but first and foremost, for being so good at emulating the qualities of these people's God. But before I get a little too hot under the collar over that issue, let's look at another huge area of discrimination where government facilitates the weaponization of religious liberty, and that is in the area of foster and adoptive parents. The federal government isn't the only entity that can play this game with impunity. Religious liberty has been used to discriminate in numerous ways at state level too, particularly in taxpayer-funded child welfare programs, including adoption and foster care. In true Hobby Lobby fashion, some state laws provide avenues for faith-based child welfare providers to deny opportunities for same-sex couples or LGBTQ individuals to foster or adopt. Between 2016 and 2019, seven states have passed laws to allow taxpayer-funded child welfare programs to refuse to work with LGBTQ prospective parents if they assert a refusal based on religious reasons. Also in 2019, the 45th Presidential Administration basically made it okay for states to ignore federal discrimination rules as long as they hide behind religion when they do it. And they can circumvent the rules and still get federal funding, a blatant violation of the separation of church and state. As a result, prospective foster parents from Jewish, Catholic, and other non-Protestant Christian backgrounds have been denied the opportunity to welcome foster children into their homes. It's kind of a sick, twisted play on the Quiverful movement. Mm -hmm. They want to keep these kids indoctrinated to the things that they want them to believe, because it adds to their numbers. Right. It's beyond sinister. Now, 45's administration claims that the move advances religious liberty, but it doesn't. It does just the opposite. It condones the violation of the religious liberty of prospective adoptive parents for not being evangelical or Protestant. Let's, let's be fair. It's the same mentality that makes people refuse to wear masks because it violates their liberty, but lends no deference to the fact that others are potentially being harmed by their non-compliance. Only their liberty matters. Only their side can be right. Only their point of view is valid. And having the backing of the federal government all but guaranteed that their errant sense of right would stay firmly in place. No wonder they went so batshit when their miscreant messiah lost. Now, some state laws also allow child welfare programs to refuse certain medical treatments and services to any domestic structure that they don't like. According to the Human Rights Campaign, parents can be rejected because the agency has an objection to them for any reason, including interfaith couples, single parents, married couples in which one prospective parent has previously been divorced, or other parents to whom the agency has a religious objection. And since I will never be able to make a compelling argument to these people in any way that revolves around simply being decent, compassionate human beings who emulate the perceived charitable qualities of their savior, I'll put it in terms they actually understand and care about. Money. Taxpayers save nearly $29,000 per year for every child that is adopted from foster care and therefore does not age out of the child welfare system. But, you know... I put that in my notes, and then I started thinking, actually, why would they even care about that when they teach people to tithe on their gross? Uh, they can collect the tithe and deprive the child of a loving, nurturing home environment. That will really make them happy, because you're supposed to tithe on your income before tax. Right. 
So it really, I suppose, wouldn't matter that much. Still wouldn't be a compelling argument, even though we're speaking the language that they love the most, or one of them, one of the languages they love the most. I also found this interesting. While adoption and foster care are primarily regulated by the states, many federal laws and regulations apply to child welfare activities, as well as state child welfare programs that receive federal funding. As a result, state agencies and other adoption and foster care providers receiving federal funding are subject to federal laws and regulation, including non-discrimination requirements on the basis of race, color, and national origin. However, there are no such discrimination requirements when it comes to sexual orientation, gender identity, or marital status. How convenient, huh? But... One of the major problems that is only exacerbated by the existence of these hate-fueled loopholes is the impact on LGBTQ youth. Many teens who wind up in foster care are there because they are LGBTQ and have been rejected by their families, and they often find themselves enduring abusive treatment within the system over their sexual orientations. And the very agencies that are supposed to be protecting them can deny them various services and treatments because... They are LGBTQ. Now, this is only problematic in a handful of states right now, but any of the states can adopt policies like this and still maintain their funding. One of the other big issues that came up in a number of the articles that I looked at and read while researching this episode was the case of Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado. I think most people are going to remember this. It wasn't that long ago. It was 2017. Another landmark case that made it legal to weaponize religious liberty as a means of perpetuating pointless hate came in the form of this 2017 Supreme Court case. Charlie Craig and David Mullins sought to purchase their wedding cake at Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, yet the baker refused to sell the cake after realizing that they were a same-sex couple. The 45th Presidential Administration did not play a neutral role in determining whether the right to free speech permits businesses to discriminate in this case. Through an amicus brief, the Department of Justice urged the U.S. Supreme Court to side with the baker despite standing civil rights laws. Now, let's make sure we understand this. Most people in America to whom faith means anything at all oppose all forms of discrimination and many, many churches out there have become very outwardly and sincerely welcoming of people of all imaginable genders and sexual orientations. See, they understand that these are people. They further understand that Jesus flat out didn't have an opinion about any of this. Only some of his crackpot followers did. I mean, his father clearly did. But it wasn't enough of a concern for Jesus to ever once say anything about one orientation being morally superior to another, period. Polling has consistently shown that a strong majority of Americans believe that businesses should not be allowed to deny services to potential customers based on gender identity or sexual orientation. And this view is mirrored in various Supreme Court decisions that communicate the message that religious liberty stops where harm to the individual begins. In the case of Masterpiece versus Colorado, the Justice Department literally argued for the right to discriminate. And while the impact of this case may not have made it across the board legal to discriminate against members of the LGBTQ community, it still allowed it to happen in this instance. Another huge problem in this whole weaponization of religious liberty concept is discrimination against Muslims. The Supreme Court also sided with 45 when he tried to implement a travel ban on Muslims. I thought all religions in this country were supposed to enjoy their liberty, but apparently if you're a seething bigot with a large band of red hat wearing psychophants and you have the backing of a powerful judicial body that leans toward your opinions on everything absent of any sound interpretation of the Constitution whose statutes they are sworn to uphold, you can impose whatever restrictions you want. Our Supreme Court, as it exists right now, is a caricature of justice that accentuates all the racist, homophobic, and xenophobic qualities of our favorite insane religion and is one of the few footholds that evangelicals have within our government. So what is it that these people really want? Why is it such a priority to weaponize religious liberty? The really scary part of this isn't in what they do or choose not to do as a result of their religious convictions. 
It's in the motivation behind all the things we've talked about so far. It should come as no surprise, but the real agenda here is to eradicate religious liberty for any religion that isn't evangelical Christianity, coupled with creating a system where people either agree with them or are forced to do things the way that evangelicals think they should. They wouldn't use birth control, so you can't. They don't like the idea of hormone therapies for trans people, so they simply withhold them or make the people, and that's what they are. They're people. And they make these people jump through some very costly hoops to maintain access to the things that they need. The devaluation of human life in favor of their own selfish agendas is truly appalling. While the Trump administration claims to be in pursuit of religious liberty, it has instead prioritized a specific set of conservative Protestant Christian beliefs over all others. Its efforts have extended far beyond the precedents set by both Burwell versus Hobby Lobby, which expanded who is eligible for RFRA protections and how well they will be granted, and Trinity Lutheran Church versus Cromer, which the 45th presidential administration has attempted to expand in cases that pertain to when the government can or cannot exclude religious organizations from funding. It should come as no surprise to anyone that I'm not a fan of any religion, but as a secular humanist, I recognize the need for religious tolerance. I also recognize the concept of not punishing the many for the actions of the few. And just so we're clear, there are as many evangelical extremists out there as there are Muslim extremists, probably more. And extremism exists in all religions, even Wicca. Yes. Oh, we saw it. Uh-huh. We totally saw it. Definitely. So there's no such thing as religion that is innocent or immune from this sort of thing. There are people on the far end of both wings in all religions. So you've got real conservative types and you've got real overwhelmingly liberal types in every religion out there, including Christianity. And we've seen examples of this over and over and over again, especially with certain clergy that have opinions on things that go counter to anything evangelical. So I want, I want to kind of segue a little bit here into spotlighting 10 specific things based on a list compiled by AmericanProgress.org. These are what they consider to be must-know concepts about religious liberty, many of which we touched on or alluded to already. And there are some that I'm also just going to paraphrase a little bit here and maybe shift the focus of to fit the conversation just a little bit better. But I think they're all relevant. And the way that they're presented here makes a lot of sense. The way that, um, the way that AmericanProgress.org presents it makes a lot of sense. For starters, religious liberty is alive and well in America, and the public knows it. Catholics, white mainline Protestants, minority Protestants, and Christians who identify as unaffiliated all agree. It seems that only extremist sects of evangelicalism seem to disagree. The government requirement that employers include contraceptive coverage in their health care plan does not threaten religious liberty. It just flat out doesn't. But the way that the laws are written now and with decisions that have been made through the highest court in the land, they are allowed to do whatever they want for whatever reason they want and hold people back from having things that they need simply because they don't want those kinds of things associated with their brand image. And I think that that completely and totally sucks and I'm far from alone. It's interesting to note here that the Health and Human Services Regulation provides a religious exemption to houses of worship and related religious institutions. Um, there's nothing in there about fucking Hobby Lobby. No. Absolutely nothing. And here's the thing. They respond to this exemption by turning their noses up at opportunity. Let's call it an opportunity here to do something right for people. They turn their nose up at it for no logical reason aside from the fact that it leaves them unable to control what people, particularly women, do with their bodies. Moreover, religiously affiliated institutions like hospitals, schools, and charities that object to birth control 
will not have to pay for contraceptive coverage because of an additional accommodation the administration offers. Except that with these people, it isn't about paying for it. It's about exerting the power to deny it. This policy protects the religious liberty of institutions as well as that of female employees who use contraception in accordance with their conscience and values. Next on the list, marriage equality laws do not threaten religious liberty. The states that have passed marriage equality laws have all included religious protections in their laws, exempting clergy from performing same-sex marriages and granting immunity from lawsuits to religious institutions for refusing to provide goods and services related to same-sex marriage. In other words, no one is forcing a minister in the United States with strong convictions to do anything they think goes against the tenets of their faith. It's up to same-sex couples to find ministers and officiants who share their values. I'm personally fine with this. I wouldn't want to be forced to pray with a student before a driving lesson. Right. Okay? So I'm perfectly okay with not forcing a minister to perform a same-sex marriage if they don't feel that it is morally or ethically right for them to do so. They're dead wrong, but... That's what religious liberty is, people. You take the good with the bad. I don't like the idea of a same-sex couple having a hard time finding someone to marry them, but at the same time, I wouldn't want anyone who calls themselves an ordained minister feeling shackled to the duty of doing it if they really, really don't want to do it. The bottom line is I'm definitely okay with that even to the point where it's still a little bit of a burn because i feel like a little bit of tolerance goes a long way too but justices of the peace exist non-affiliated ministers especially in wicca there's i I don't think that you'll find a wiccan priestess that won't marry a same-sex couple oh yeah you know there's there are there are officiants out there that have the credentials necessary to be able to perform those services so you know leave your Presbyterian pastor alone and find someone who's okay with this. Yeah. It seems like the humanist thing to do. Next, the government is not waging war on religion. In fact, certain religious organizations, including a number of Catholic organizations like hospitals and homeless shelters, are doing really well in terms of government support. Federal support of Catholic organizations in particular has always been high. And we're not talking about churches necessarily. We're talking about civic programs, public programs that are backed by the Catholic Church. And I personally don't have a problem with that either. Just because it has the stamp of Catholic on it, it's helping people. Right. For better or worse, it's helping people. So I don't have issues with them getting government money. And with the sheer number of times the government has sided with the wrong side of the religious liberty issue in just the past few years, the notion that our government is somehow anti-religion is absurd. Any good secular society embraces religion as an outlet for the pursuit of happiness among the adherents of that religion. Next, religious liberty includes both the freedom to worship and practice one's faith and freedom from government establishment of religion. Remember our conversation last week about the First Amendment? It contains a free exercise clause and an establishment clause, both of which are essential for that balance to be maintained. No one should be pressured by the government into adopting religious beliefs or be coerced into engaging in practices in which they do not freely choose. The separation of church and state protects both freedoms, and all Americans should value that protection no matter what their beliefs or politics are. They should. But if you're evangelical, you probably don't. If you're white evangelical or Christian nationalist, you almost certainly don't. Next, religious liberty is not an absolute. Our country has always had civil laws that may limit religious liberty. For example, plural marriage is still illegal across the board here, even though plenty of people practice it, like some Mormons, like a lot of Mormons. The First Amendment, however, still allows a person to call more than one person their spouse. It's just that the law will only recognize one. 
To cite another example, parents who are Christian scientists or members of other sects that reject the efficacy of medical treatment over prayer are still obligated by law to seek medical help for their seriously ill child, even when doing so violates the tenets of their religion. Even Antonin Scalia made a valid point on this one. Go figure. If religious beliefs were superior to the law of the land, it would make every citizen a law unto himself. Isn't that kind of the definition of a sovereign citizen? Yeah. I think, it, I think it's at least close. That quote refers to a Supreme Court case that upheld the firing of a few Native Americans for using peyote and claiming that it was part of a religious ritual. You can't touch it if it's part of my religion is not now, nor has it ever been true in the U.S. And this has been used for peyote. It's mm -hmm. been used for weed. It's been used for a lot of things. Right. It's been used for child marriage yeah. and things like that, too. And none of these things fly in right. the eyes of the law. Next, not everything that claims to be religious liberty is religious liberty. Sometimes it's just subversiveness masquerading as victimhood. Remember that anything that violates separation of church and state also violates religious liberty. And the Hobby Lobby case is a clear example of a blatant violation of religious liberty because it definitely broke down the walls between church and state. No doubt about it. I don't care how anyone wants to interpret it. That is what happened. And I think that it's very unfortunate. Next, there are real threats to religious liberty in America today, and many come from within. And many of those begin with evangelicals and evangelical organizations. But there are also those that come from secular entities, like when police spy on Muslim-owned businesses and stake out religious gatherings at the local mosque. Mm -hmm. None of these things should be a thing either. I think that if you're going to protect one religion, you need to protect them all. If you're going to tolerate one religion, you got to tolerate them all. I think that it would be a better world without any of them. But they're here. And we have rights in this country. And whether I like the decisions that you make in terms of your spiritual pursuits or not, I still don't have the right to tell you that you cannot engage in them. And you know what? As much as I dislike the whole concept of religion, I like that that's a thing. And the reason why I like it so much is because it protects my voice and my opinions too. It protects those who are religious and it protects those who are not. So you can't have it both ways. Either you have to accept that religion is there. It's something that's always going to be part of a lot of people's lives. And when we come to a point of acceptance of that, it makes it easier to be thankful for the freedom that we have to do things like put on a podcast and talk about the ways that they're wrong. Next, disputes over religious liberty are part of our history. Just as many Muslim Americans are viewed with suspicion because of their faith, Catholic and Jewish Americans have been targets in the past. When Catholic immigrants came to this country, they were viewed as unpatriotic and pagan because of their religion. Their churches were attacked, their property was burned, and some were killed in outbreaks of mob violence. Likewise, Jewish Americans faced anti-Semitism throughout much of our history as well. They were not only discriminated against in housing, employment, education, and civil organizations, but also targeted by the Ku Klux Klan, lynched, and killed. If anyone out there is thinking that the Klan only targeted blacks, oh, no, 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 no. They hate the Jews every bit as much. And that has been part of their makeup from the beginning. Lastly, it is important to practice religious liberty with tolerance, responsibility, and neutrality. Enjoy the rights and privileges afforded you in the First Amendment and respect the beliefs or lack thereof of others. Oh, and keep your religion to yourself. Matthew 28, 19 does not supersede the Constitution. Sorry. Also remember the most important part of free speech it guarantees you a voice, but it does not guarantee you an audience. I think those 10 very important points sum things up nicely for this episode. If I were to add my own thoughts to the mix, I think I would simply want to reiterate just how necessary religious liberty is in a society that calls itself secular. 
What I find sad is that if the United States truly got this right from the very beginning, the influence of evangelical thought would likely never have even been a thing here. Evangelical Christianity as we know it might not even be a thing here. But it's here, and now it's up to us to deal with it. Let's keep in mind that the First Amendment accomplishes two things. It guarantees freedom of religion and guarantees that the government stays out of it. So where have we gone wrong? When did it become okay for the government to consider matters of religion when deciding what laws will govern the land? When did it become okay for the government to cater to one very specific, very toxic brand of Christianity and just give them whatever they ask for? Whatever makes them more comfortable. Whatever makes them feel more in control, even to the point of controlling others and depriving them of medical services they think their God calls sinful. Whatever doesn't force them to think about the fact that there's a whole world out there that doesn't think or act like they do. Whatever helps them not think about the fact that not every successful relationship is boy-girl or just boy-girl. Whatever allows them to deny healthcare products they don't even have to pay for to people they look at as employees on a legal level, but clearly view as property, aka slaves, in practice. Whatever gives them the final say on who would make a good parent and what defines a healthy living environment. Whatever lets them go on assaulting the world with their hatred while ever asserting the love of their savior as their motivation for doing so. All I can say to that is whatever. Keep the conversation going. Make your opinions known, and not just on social media, but in other much more effective ways, like actively participating in government, even if all you ever do is vote. You can, however, do a lot more. You can keep open lines of communication with the people who represent you in government and tell them what changes you would like to see to existing laws at both state and federal levels. You can also donate money and time to campaigns for candidates who are likely to advocate for and facilitate true religious liberty. Lastly, you can keep developing a solid counter-apologetic that includes the truth about our history and an understanding of the motivations of the Founding Fathers when they wrote the Constitution. I'm sure none of them meant to deny women health care services and birth control. I'm sure they didn't mean to discriminate against LGBTQ children and teens. If any of these things were more of a thing back then, I am convinced that there would have also been language in the Bill of Rights to protect them. Think about these things when you talk to people. Be prepared to counter rhetoric with reason, belief with fact, and ignorance with wisdom. Who knows? Maybe you'll never get through to anybody with just words, even good, compelling, and well-chosen words, because some people, and most evangelicals, are just that difficult to reason with. But then again, you might just be the one who helps someone get and stay unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.